Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Lewis. Hello, Daniel. I discovered something uh, when I looked at the uh, podcast analytics. Oh, yeah. What's that? Uh, that thousands of people listen to us. Hey. But I also discovered they tend to turn off uh, about halfway through the okay. podcast. All right. And what does that make you think? Uh, I think, uh, well, I, uh, here's what I think. Yeah. I think they're, they're missing out. They're missing out on a crucial component of the show, Lewis. Yeah, because I'll tell you what it makes me think. I always close the show. <laughs> Every live show, I slave away. Sometimes for up to an hour, working on a funny little series of jokes. And I put them right at the end of the show, and it's a barnstorming performance. People always say, you got to stick around to the end. Oh, oh Lewis Hobber always closes the show. He's yeah. very funny. A crusher, they call me. He crushes comedy. And so these people, you're telling me that the thousands of people who listen to the podcast they don't even know what I do there. They don't know why I'm there every week. They don't even know what you're doing on the weekly shows. They're like, who's this guy that's on the weekly shows? I know we listen to the live show. He just he just hangs out there riding on Dan's coattails. I mean, people have said that to me before and will say it to me again. But right now, I'm furious. <laughs> well, here's what I've done. I've put together a special of all of your bits back to back so people can enjoy you 100% of the time on this episode of Rational Fear. That's interesting because I wonder how it'll be like... I do think a little bit of Lewis, five minutes each episode, is probably good. I wonder if you put all of it back to back, if it'll just sound like the unhinged ravings of a lunatic. Yeah, of course it will, because you are renowned for being an unhinged raving lunatic on a rational fear. Yeah. Well, the good news is they can turn off any time, which turns out to be about halfway through. Oh, my God. So the back half of this, we'll have to put the podcast out again and flip the <laughs> Reverse it! And then maybe, finally, you'll actually listen to me! Uh, if you want to hear more of Lewis, please sign up to our Patreon. Uh, and if you want to hear less, sign up to the Patreon and leave a little note saying, Less Lewis, please, and I'll just quit. I'll quit. I'll do it. I've been working here for nothing. <laughs> and if you are on Patreon, you are getting this first. You're getting this special episode a week before everybody else. So there are there are benefits of being on the Patreon, uh, though that's they're very scant. Oh, know. yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we have so little to offer. Uh, but we are very, very grateful. So thank you, and thank you for listening to so much me yelling. So much me yelling. Uh, before people head into this 50-minute episode... 50 minutes? <laughs> are you insane? <laughs> well, it's your... Lewis, you've done so many great bits, so we, we needed to put them all together. How? That's fucking insane. Well, you fucking destroy the show. Like, you're really good, like, in the live <laughs> setting. It's just that no one has heard them. <laughs> I can't believe I've been doing this podcast for 10 years and no one's heard me... <laughs> This is outrageous. Should instead of closing the show, do it open the yes, show? Yes, I want to open the show and leave. <laughs> the disrespect. So what are you gonna? What are you gonna tell? What are you gonna tell? I folks? honestly, I don't even know. Like, is this from all the episodes? How yeah, far yeah. Are there's going? probably some great gear there from 2013. You're gonna get cancelled for. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can take out. Um, you can't see blackface on a podcast. Oh, thank God. Okay, good. As long as you can't see that, we should be all sweet. I don't know what's in here, but I've been angry about so much. So much over the years. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. And please, uh, I love you. Remember that at the end. Irrational fear! Can you all see me at the back? <laughs> it's a joke. I'm very tall. It's a, 
It's a good visual gag for the podcast. There's actually going to be a lot of those, so if you're listening at home, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not. The biggest event on the planet is happening right now. The World Cup of football. Around half the world's population will watch it. But our Socceroos have been knocked out. And thank God! Because now we can fully focus on the other global event happening this weekend, the TV Week Logie Awards. Yes, good woo! On other continents, young boys and girls will huddle around TVs to watch Messi, Ronaldo, Iniesta and dream that they one day too may hold the golden cup aloft. And here in Australia, kids will huddle around the 79-inch flat screen and say, Mama, Papa, when I grow up, can I be on the project? Can I sit next to Steve Price, Mama? He's ever so racist. Sure, it's easy to make fun of the Logies, and that's why I'm going to do it. Yes, I'm a hack who grabs at low-hanging fruit. The height makes it easy. And then I hold it in front of Grant Tenure and I make him jump for it. Jump for it, Grant. It used to be that the Logies were vapid. They would glorify dumb and vacuous television and never acknowledge anything cool. But that's all changed now, because no one watches TV. So you can safely say that every show nominated for a Logie is a cult (laughs) favourite. One guy nominated for the Gold Logie this year is on a show called Love It or List It. The most recent episode of that show had 46,000 viewers. 46,000 viewers. That's the ratings of my mum's Instagram stories. Check her out. Your mum's really hot. I mean, Margaret, the thirst traps are weird, but her unboxing videos are good. (laughs) Personally, I actually think it's good to see the Logies getting behind the little guy. And I don't just mean Grant Denyer. I mean the underground battlers with no viewers, like a current affair. I mean, they've been talking about battlers for so long, they should just do an episode on themselves. The World Cup might be big, but in Australia, no one could even see it for the first week. Uh, At least viewers know they will definitely be able to watch the Logies. They won't, but they could if they wanted. (laughs) But then eventually, after Optus shat the bed and finally let SBS screen the games, people got angry that the host from SBS was pronouncing foreigners' names correctly. Lucy Zelich, host of the World Game and the only person in the country able to cope with Craig Foster, was... (laughs) He's hot, but he's... (laughs) Shut up, Craig. Lucy Zelich was dragged for being multilingual by internet commenters who are barely (laughs) single-lingual. I mean, if, if Lucy Zelich lo- hosted the Logies, she would have given the gold Logie to Karl Stefanovic. <laughs> which is a bit real for my friend Dan Illich. When I met him, he was still pretending to be white. I decolonised. <laughs> but the Logies have had a huge shake-up this year. For the first time ever, television's Night of Nights will be held in Australia's shithole of shitholes. <laughs> The Gold Coast. The Gold... <laughs> the World Cup is being held in Russia, where the government kills people. The Logies will be held in the Gold Coast, where Dreamworld kills people. Too soon. Two years? Too soon? We can cut it. Of course, it always used to be in Melbourne, where it was in a very cool back alley, and there were plenty of milk crates for Grant Denyer to stand on so he could <laughs> look normal-sized people in the eye. But now it'll be in the Gold Coast, where everyone will be so busy just bending over and vomiting from the passion pop that we'll actually still be back down to Grant Denyer's level, which is nice, I think. Grant Denyer has big dick energy. <laughs> That is a good call. That is actually a good call. I mean, he's had enough ice. He can go all night. (laughs) 
allegedly. This is a rational fear. Now, as a Victorian who lives in Sydney, I've always kind of felt like Switzerland in the Sydney-Melbourne debate. I think they're both great. You know, Melbourne has the food and the footy. Sydney has the beaches and the beauty. But there was always one trump card that Melbourne had to play uh, when it came to its uh, victory over Sydney. Hidden in a little laneway was a secret spot called Crown Casino. <laughs> now, as long as Sydney didn't have a Crown Casino, it would always be Melbourne's poor cousin. Everyone knew it. It's all anyone talked about up here. When will we get a crown? Where can I go if I want to gamble and eat at restaurants that already exist pretty close by? Well, you could go to Star Casino, I'd say. <laughs> the star, they'd say. Without a crown, this city can never be king. And then, like a white knight riding in on his glimmering super yacht, came James Packer. He built a new crown right here. It would herald a new dawn of subtle sophistication right here in the Emerald City. I'm talking a hidden, tucked away. 22 hectares of land. An almost impossible to spot 75 floor casino. And all owned and run by a family business. The Packers. For a moment, Sydney was the happiest place on earth. Then, before I even got a chance to take my cool Melbourne friends to Barangaroo for a hip night of gambling, I find out that Crown can't open in Sydney. Apparently, some intern who calls himself a former Supreme Court justice suddenly decided, after an 18-month investigation, that Crown is unsuitable to run a casino. Why? Because Crown Casino in Melbourne has a long history of money laundering. Melbourne, isn't that fucking typical? <laughs> Not only does it have the better restaurants, it's better at money laundering. If I, have to, if I want to money launder, I have to drive 10 hours down the Hume to turn my drug money into chips. It's outrageous. You don't ban someone for money laundering. Remember last year when Westpac accidentally forgot to mention 19.5 million transactions of money laundering? We gave him a little fine. No one went to prison. It was an accident. It was 19.5 million accidents. But Crown only made one mistake. One little money laundering mistake. Poomst. Poomst among us. <laughs> Has not once organised a junket for a triad gang to dump profits of crime for over a decade. Look me in the eye and tell me you haven't done it. Honestly, telling Crown they can't operate money laundering casinos, it's like telling Osher Gunsberg he can't host TV. It's what they were born to do. Without Crown, jobs will be lost. Can you imagine the layoffs in the triad gangs? I don't want to be the guy at Centrelink who has to tell a hitman he can't apply for JobKeeper. <laughs> and not only will people not be able to launder money, how will people gamble? Are you telling me people can just gamble on their phones? <laughs> at any time? On literally anything? I'm old-fashioned. I book my holidays at a travel agent. I buy my porn at a sex shop. And I like to gamble in a giant penis-shaped building. <laughs> I don't want to gamble on a machine that fits in my pocket. I want to gamble on a big machine filled with coins like a robot leprechaun. <laughs> I'm worried about what will happen to the beautiful Barangaroo if Crown can't open its casino. Usually, when you're not allowed in a Sydney building, it's for a normal reason, like it has cracks and it's about to fall down. But right now, in Sydney, there is a 75-storey money-laundering cock just sitting there on the harbour disordered. I mean, what are we going to do with an empty building with a fucking crown on top of it? It limits the options. What are you going to do, rent it to Crown Lager? That beer's a bigger crime than money-laundering. I mean, what are we going to do, literally? Rent it out to, like, a royal family? 
The closest Australia has to a royal family is the Hemsworths. Their Byron house is nicer than Barangaroo. If this nanny state won't let James Packer open his money laundering factory, I do actually have a few ideas of what we could do with the empty space. Now, your average Twitter teardrop will tell you that it should be used for public housing or COVID quarantine hotels. How about this? It's got a lot of CCTV cameras. Big Brother house. If you think Crown's reputation is too bad for a TV network to film Big Brother, keep in mind, they used to film it at Dreamworld. <laughs> I'm just saying, the standard's low. Okay, it's not right for Big Brother, I hear your groans. Maybe another show, Ninja Warrior, right across the casino floor. The first person to jump over the jewel of the Nile, swing around a roulette wheel, roll snake eyes, crack open the vault, and swim through a billion dollars of laundered money, Wins $50,000. The rest of the money goes to Crown. <laughs> Fine, don't like that idea. I got more. We all know that James Packer and Mariah Carey are well and truly over. Maybe it's not too late to rewrite the divorce. So Mariah gets Barangaroo. <laughs> Imagine Mariah Carey living alone in a giant tower for the next 30 years while the giant facade slowly decays one day. An intrepid explorer wandering through the heat wasteland that was once Sydney. Machetes through the ivy branches that have overtaken Crown's revolving doors to find Mariah in rags. Sauntering the empty halls, singing all I want for Christmas is you. While she mimes eating a sumptuous feast off the empty plates in a deserted Nobu. Yes, it is an excellent idea. But it's not as good as money laundering. <laughs> just like, oh, I feel like Crown should be allowed to launder money just like they do in Melbourne. I'm sick of Sydney being number two. Do you know that New South Wales isn't even the state with the most amount of poker machines in the world? Guess what number we are? Number two. <laughs> you know who number one is? Nevada. <laughs> First the Storm wins the rugby league and now this. No, Crown Casino simply must be allowed to operate in Sydney. I mean, they even let Western Australia have a Crown Casino. That's a state where you hit a jackpot anytime you dig a hole. <laughs> if Sydney doesn't pick up its game soon, soon, we'll have nothing. I mean, we'll have one casino, but what are we, Hobart? <laughs> We've already lost the cruise ship business. Don't take away our culture. <laughs> We need a friendly place with a carpet that reminds you of a funky fruit funeral parlour with lighting that says, what time is it? Who cares? And a car park full of family wagons with the windows down just enough for the kids to breathe. It's a good idea. I hope, personally, I don't see the day when there's a real estate agent out the front of Barangaroo auctioning it off. But if I do... 2.2 billion is actually not a bad price for an apartment in Sydney, so I might invest. <laughs> Thank you so much. Lewis Your fear is rational. Over the years, governments in this country have declared war on many things. There was Howard's war on terror. There was Abbott's war on red tape. There was Gillard's war on misogyny. And I sometimes like to guess who we'd be at war with if Mark Latham had won an election. <laughs> Maybe the moon. <laughs> And as wild as that would have been, it would still be less insane than the New South Wales War on Music Festivals. Yes, the Berejiklian blitzkrieg on fun rages ever on. A fed-fast that never ends. If you miss this story, a bunch of music festivals in New South Wales have been forced to cancel because of new regulations. The government can now tell a festival how many police they're required to have, which they then need to hire off the government. In one case, the festival cancelled when it was told one week out that it would have to hire an extra $200,000 worth of cops. And if you're thinking that telling people how much of a thing they are required by law to buy off you sounds like a good business model, you're right, it is. It is getting the tick of approval from Shark Tank. If you or I did it, it would be called racketeering. The most jaunty of crimes. It feels really strange to live in a place where it is a vote winner to attack festivals. Festivals. 
In any other country, the word itself invokes a sense of community and fun. <laughs> and to wage a war against music. <laughs> if you're writing an 80s film or rock opera and you need a villain to do something cartoonishly evil... If Gladys Berejiklian gets re-elected on an anti-music platform, then she might as well just do a victory speech in a coat made of 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> no one here cares. Not you, them, the trash out there. You guys are beautiful. And if you're listening at home, also beautiful. So apart from the festivals that have already been cancelled, like Mountain Sounds and Sci-Fari, a bunch of other festivals like Laneway have announced they might have to cancel next year's festival because of these new regu regulations. Now in 15 years of doing Laneway in Sydney, two people have had to go to hospital. In 15 years. That's less people dying than in a Sydney theatre company matinee. <laughs> Their hearts just give out when they see Hugo Weaving. He's very good. He's electric. And if you're a Gen X or Boomer thinking that the loss of a festival like Sci-Fari doesn't really affect you, I would like to remind you of this famous poem. First, they came for Sci-Fari. But I didn't speak out because I didn't like hardstyle trance. And then they came for Laneway. And I didn't speak out, because I didn't like fun in tight places. <laughs> but then, they came for Byron Bay Blues and Roots Festival. <laughs> and it was too late! Because I didn't say anything, and now how will I see Vicar and Linda Ball? <laughs> That's right, even Blues Fest, the one you people love has announced that it might leave New South Wales. That's gonna decimate the slide guitar industry! <laughs> <laughs> and I don't expect music festivals to be everyone's number one voting issue. But New South Wales let a government tell them when they could and could not buy alcohol. It goes against everything I know about this country! <laughs> At this point, the only thing I can think of that would get Sydney siders actually angry is a war against F45. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> what can I do? Can I re-pitch music festivals in a way that boomers might understand? We know boomers think drugs are bad. I mean, they did it in the 60s, obviously, but now it's us, not them, so it's bad. <laughs> They know that, uh, we know that boomers think young people never talk to each other because we're always on our phones. Well, music festivals solve all these problems. The reception's always really shit, or the 4G's jammed with people using Instagram. We can't use our phones, and after a few caps, we love to talk to each other. Look, old people, the enemy of your enemy is your friend! <laughs> I don't know, maybe New South Wales is right, maybe we should just cancel fun. Let's just stay in every weekend and once a year we'll spend all our savings to go to the Domain to see whatever's left of Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Break the chain. Once Sydney is completely given up, we can segregate the entire population of Australian cities by age bracket. At 20 years old, you'll be forced to move to Melbourne, where you'll actually be allowed to have a good time. At 30, you'll move to Brisbane to settle down, get married, get sad, get divorced. <laughs> you'll spend your 40s in Adelaide drinking wine and getting into cycling. <laughs> At 50s, the Gold Coast for tanning and tax breaks. And then finally you'll turn 60 and you'll be ready for Sydney. <laughs> A retirement village with no young people and no music. Just cops and Messina. <laughs> It'll be our Florida. Humid and full of people you wish would die but won't. 
And when all the septuagenarians, fuck, I knew I shouldn't have written that word down. It's harder to say with no teeth. You'll get there eventually. And when all the septuagenarians commemorate the day they won the fun war, they won't have a minute's silence. They'll have a lifetime of it. This is a rational fear. The UK is now being run, run by Boris Johnson. The human personification of the word whoopsie. The whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. But I reckon if you asked anyone over 50 how they were feeling this week, they'd say they felt better than they've felt in years. Kind of like how they felt when they bought their third investment property. And that, because in all this madness, there's been one little beacon of boomer light. A warm safety blanket to wrap yourselves in. One utopic island in a fraught ocean of troubles. The return of sea change. Yes. Yes, it isn't just Victoria that's legalised assisted dying. Now... (laughs) Now the entire country can lay back and slowly watch the life drain from our eyes as the biggest ABC drama of the late 90s has beamed directly into our homes like wistful memory Xanax. For older Australians, the return of sea change is like getting back your franking credits. You didn't need it, but I bet it's nice. I should say quickly for anyone here under 30, sea change was round the twist for adults. I never saw sea change myself, uh, but I got the gist from hearing my parents talk about it. Uh, It's about a high-flying lawyer who leaves the city to move to the coast and apparently Diver Dan, quite the dish, (laughs) according to my mother. Yes, Sigrid Thornton and the gang from Pearl Bay are back on your TV. It's a great day for the generation who still say Channel 2. (laughs) (laughs) There's a man in the third row who gave you the finger. the middle finger. If you went to his Facebook page, he's probably friends with the ABC. Thank you, mate. Thank it's you, it's mate. just the ABC, his family, and that's it. Yeah. He doesn't know how to use Facebook. He doesn't do Facebook, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, sometimes stereotypes exist for a reason. <laughs> oh, the ABC's doing its absolute best to give the boomers what they want, aren't they? They brought back Countdown for New Year's Eve. You loved that, didn't you? Countdown. They keep bringing back Spicks and Specs because you think Adam Hills is nice. But they were gateway drugs. Nothing tickles an old man's walnut wallet like the ageless visage of Sigrid Thornton. And here's the kicker. The auntie's most valuable asset after Barry Cassidy's frown lines isn't even on the ABC anymore. While the AFP were raiding us for the Afghan files, Channel 9 was rummaging around and stealing sea change. (laughs) It's one of the only shows on Australian TV with no known sexual predators. (laughs) I mean, thank God we let Channel 7 take Dr. Blake mysteries. Good luck to them. (laughs) But sea change selling out, that hurts. There's nothing worse than seeing something leave the integrity of the ABC to chase meaningless cash. (laughs) Isn't that right, Ray Martin? Don't worry, Ray. Four Corners really went downhill after you left. Irrational fear. The reason I think, just to wrap it all up, uh, that satirists, and look, I say satirists and comedians, and I'm referring to us, and you might be like, yeah, I don't even think of myself as a satirist. I mostly ask people where they've been stuck on radio. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm not out there doing the, the good stuff. You know what I mean? I'm not, John, I'm not John Oliver. I'm an idiot. So just accept that I'm going to use that term broadly, and let's, r- r- let's move past it so we can all pee. But I, the reason I think that satirists aren't the new journalists is simple. 
we can't exist without journalists. Like, 100% of jokes written by political comedians get written because they read a story in the news and the news <laughs> is written by journalists. Like, we're lazy. We're too lazy to do it. And to show how lazy we are, for the next little while, I'm just going to make the same point over and over again <laughs> using slightly different metaphors. Satirists aren't disrupting journalism. We're leeching off it. We're a pilot fish attached to a shark. We're the cackling hyenas picking at the bones of politicians left behind by lions. If journalists are a majestic giraffe using its height to scan for danger, we are a silly bird that lands on its head. <laughs> forced to look wherever the giraffe turns. <laughs> uh, there's more. <laughs> Comedians are the last person in the human centipede. <laughs> Just taking the research already digested and shut out by reporters and editors, eating it up and then shitting it out again in a slightly different way. <laughs> it's still shit. <laughs> but our shit was shat by a human centipede and that's going to get clicks. Like, journalists have to do a lot of stuff that is important and boring. Comedians want to do stuff that is frivolous and exciting. Like, can anyone here be bothered learning what an interest rate is? You know what I mean? Like, no, there's no such thing as a financial comedian. It would be cruel to teach us about money only for us to learn we'll never get it. <laughs> like, the grunt work of political journalism is getting things on the record. Like, that's, that's the grunt stuff, that's the important stuff. Like, going to boring press conferences, making boring calls, getting people to say stuff. Like, in 2008, when a journalist got Scott Morrison on the record saying that he was in favour of a government supporting people buying houses with a housing equity scheme, that was boring in 2008. And in 2017, when he said it again, and that he still supported the idea, it was boring then. But in 2022, when he attacks Labor for the exact same idea, <laughs> it suddenly becomes something, right? <laughs> Something that gets the mouths of the little human centipede very excited. <laughs> but good things take time, even hypocrisy. And time is something that journalists can afford to have. And look, I am not deifying journalists. <laughs> they're normal people, and in fact, they're worse than normal people. <laughs> because their job is to be annoying, ideally to people in power. But comedians, Oh, we're people pleasers. <laughs> Applause is our nourishment. Like, it's the base of our food pyramid. And so I don't think comedians are incapable of doing the work of journalists, but we're not financially motivated to piss people off. Like, we get paid by the ticket. So I think journalists have an employer, and an employer who pays them more, the better they are at annoying people. It's the opposite of what comedians do. Like, I would say the ABC has at times paid comedians to be annoying and not in the way they pay me to be annoying, which is just by accident. <laughs> but it's more of a sort of deliberate choice to pay comedians to be annoying on shows like Chaser or Tonightly, which you've talked about already. Very few people in comedy choose to make audiences happy by annoying powerful people on a freelance basis. It's just not a smart move. And so my point is really that you, you can't have political satire without journalists, but you can very easily have journalism without satirists. Because we're not going to do the research, and you know what? Sometimes you just need someone to look down the barrel of a camera and say, Princess Diana's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and you need them not to follow that up with, damn, lady died. <laughs> That's some topical stuff for you. <laughs> 1997. Not too soon, though. Like, if, if Four Corners was run by comedians, it would be the Comedy Central roast. If 60 Minutes was one run by comedians, it'd go for 50 minutes and we'd charge for the full hour. <laughs> if Current Affair was run by comedians, it'd be a bit better. <laughs> like, comedians aren't useless. I mean, we're not as bad as opinion writers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but mostly we're just putting a shiny new package on an existing product and selling it as something new. And that is why we often end up selling it for free. <laughs> Thank you. Irrational fear. Okay, Lewis.
as an anemic ABC employee, <laughs> what's your take on this? Uh, my take is the one that keeps me employed, Tony, so that I can afford to feed my feeble family all the soy lattes their weak bones need. <laughs> and, and, and what's that? What are you gonna... Peter Dutton is very handsome, manly, yet has soft and kind eyes <laughs> that make you melt when you catch their gaze. His hair is thick, like a young Ray Martin's. <laughs> He is benevolent, yet firm, like a hammer. A hammer for justice and fairness. He is building a safer, cleaner, brighter Australia. An Australia that makes you go, wow! Australia is so safe and clean and bright. Loving Peter Dutton is like an Australian journalist interviewing Steve Bannon. You know it's wrong, but you just can't help yourself. (laughs) A rational fear. I'm going to talk uh, not about the climate, but uh, about the vaccines. Another upbeat topic. Who's with me? All right. Yeah, one more applause for Lewis. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. I don't know if you've heard, but the uh, COVID vaccine rollout is going very badly. <laughs> right now, Scott Morrison couldn't organise a syringe on the set of Train Spotting. <laughs> By the end of March, he planned to have 4 million people vaccinated. (laughs) And they just missed that target by 3.4 million people. (laughs) This week, the government revealed it hadn't vaccinated aged care workers and they didn't even know how many aged care residents had started getting shots. Has anyone here been vaccinated? All right. Just by asking that question, I know more than the government about the COVID (laughs) vaccine rollout. But in times of crisis, I think it's very important to take the government's lead and instead of looking at what we can do, start looking at who we can blame. (laughs) Let's start with the Labor leaders. We all know Dan Andrews is crawling out of his hospital bed at night, throwing away his fake back brace and creeping out to sprinkle COVID under the beds of Melbourne's children. (laughs) The media are obviously also to blame. Health Minister Greg Hunt got very angry at the media for saying that older people who were nervous about getting the AstraZeneca vaccine could wait until the Pfizer arrived. Um, He said the media were promoting vaccine hesitancy. The media were directly quoting Greg Hunt. (laughs) And that really pissed off Greg Hunt, who is a Greg Hunt. Now, the government is also very angry at boomers who have developed this vaccine hesitancy. Um, For those following at home, yes, this is the same vaccine hesitancy the government refused to stop Craig Kelly doing. (laughs) What, Craig Kelly fans? What the fuck? (laughs) What a weird silence. Big QAnon vibe in here tonight. Yeah, I was about to say. (laughs) How interesting. Okay, let's explore that as we go on. Interesting. <laughs> wow, wow, fuck, I didn't see it. I've never met someone who likes Craig Kelly. It's so crazy. Um, but actually, I think that the, the vaccine hesitancy problem is actually quite easy to fix because um, boomers stopped trusting vaccines because they believe anything they read on Facebook. Uh, so what I've done is I've prepared some boomer-friendly messaging that you can write on your own Facebook wall at any time uh, to make boomers get their second jab quicker than their second home. Yeah, that's right. I know what you own. What else are you going to take away from me? Come on. All right, here we go. Here are some things you can write on your Facebook wall uh, to get boomers to take the vaccine. Tell them the vaccine doesn't insert a microchip. It inserts an audio book about Graham Kennedy written by Peter Fitzsimons. (laughs) Tell them the vaccine is just an extra hot coffee. (laughs) Tell them it's an iPad Tell them it's a painting by an indigenous artist Tell them it's a funny tea towel Tell them the vaccine is a mountain bike Tell them the vaccine is a low-res family photo Tell them it's a podcast with Annabelle Crabb Tell them the vaccine would like to hear a story about an old neighbour who recently died 
Tell them the vaccine agrees that the two years of high interest rates in the early 90s was the greatest hardship a generation ever faced. (laughs) Tell them it's a BBC drama. (laughs) Tell them it'll make Netflix easier to use. (laughs) Tell them it's a carport. (laughs) Tell them it's a second fridge. Tell them it doesn't use American words like diaper and store. It uses Australian words like nappy and shop. (laughs) Now, we all know that would 100% get the vaccine rollout back on track. But weirdly, that is not the approach our Prime Minister is taking. No, you might have heard this news yesterday. He's calling in the army. Yeah. Yesterday, he announced, in one of his trademark announcements, uh, that the new head of the National Vaccine Task Force would be Lieutenant General John Fruin. Uh, I don't know who he is either, but he's a Lieutenant General, (laughs) head of the army. If calling in the army to fix his problems sounds extreme, keep in mind, Scott Morrison loves to play with his army men. When he was the Minister for Border Protection, he called in the army to stop the boats. Then, once the, boat, once the army had done that, he made himself a little boat-shaped trophy, saying, I stop the boats. I don't know if anyone in the army got a trophy. They may have got a small participation boat. <laughs> Personally, me, I love the idea of getting the military to run a vaccination campaign. It's intimidating, but fun. <laughs> Can never quite get a read on what's going on. Big defence crowd in No, Craig Kelly, not okay with. Military on the fence. Boomers, you came around. <laughs> Applause, we all love. All right, I, stick with me. Try to stick with me. I wasn't begging, but thank you. Will you be closing with Gosford? Uh, yeah, there's a fuck Gosford coming, so stick with me. All right. All right, here we go. Now, stick with me on this army thing, okay? Because I actually think it's a really good idea, right? I would love to see people's faces when they look up to see Ben Robert Smith walking through the streets threatening to kick anyone who won't get the vaccine up the ass with a prosthetic leg he's carrying for some reason. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I knew when I asked you to stick with me that I would be losing you and I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Why stop with the army? Get the Air Force involved. I want to see fighter jets dropping syringes into aged care facilities. I want to see retired veterans pull their old rifles out of the closet, toss away their bayonets, affix a Pfizer and go back on the road. Jab, 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 jab. (laughs) We'll fight the anti-vaxxers on the beaches of Byron Bay. (laughs) We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. And then we'll blame the cost on Kevin Rudd or some shit. <laughs> Look, I get why uh, Scotty calls up defence any time he's on the defensive. Uh, people trust the army and they're already on the payroll. But I really think there's another group on the payroll who are being criminally overlooked when it comes to helping the vaccine rollout. These people live in Canberra in a building paid for by taxpayers. They're getting taxpayer-funded training every day. I'm talking about... The Australian Institute of Sport. Now, the Prime Minister said that the vaccine rollout wasn't a race. Well, right now we have hundreds of perfectly trained athletes for an Olympics that probably won't happen. So let's put them to work and make it a race. First of all, no one knows more about experimental drug treatments than 100 metre sprinters. Test the vaccines on them. They put things in their bodies that would stop fall-lapse hard. Once the team doctors have a locally produced vaccine that prevents COVID and is also untraceable by the anti-doping authority, we store them in the cool room used to acclimatise our winter Olympians. (laughs) Then we're on to the AIS's gold medal standard vaccine logistics. (laughs) This is quite a plan, so come on the journey. All right. (laughs) 
An Australian weightlifter lifts boxes of vaccines off the shelves, then carries them to a javelin thrower who hurls individual vaccines across the warehouse. Our 4 by 100 metre medley relay team will swim vaccines across the sea to Tasmania, while the rest will travel in short shorts of marathon runners as they jog off to remote corners of regional Australia. The syringes pass like a relay baton from the marathon runners to the power walkers. If they encounter any anti-vaxxers, a high jumper will frosby flop over them gracefully. Each regional Victorian centre will contain PPE from the fencing team and one Greco-Roman wrestler. Their job is to pin down vaccine-hesitant boomers while our welterweight boxers strap on latex gloves and instead of giving a left jab to the face, give an Australian a right jab in the arm. (laughs) Using the power of the AIS, I predict we can have the nation fully vaccinated by the end of the week. (laughs) Then all we need is to get Nikki Webster to sing a closing ceremony and get all the athletes back to Canberra for an athlete village level (laughs) fuckathon. If Scott Morrissey needs any more convincing, I promise when that's all over and everyone agrees that athletes have done their job perfectly, he can get a, get a little gold medal that says he did it all himself. A rational fear. Okay, it's very nice to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> Ten years of this podcast building up to this moment. A huge venue, a beautiful crowd who know everything we've done. <laughs> I think we can all agree this is the biggest event in the world this weekend. Thank you so much. I actually looked up what the 10 year anniversary is. It's the tin anniversary. Tin. Tin. A good honest medal, but it's not platinum, is it? Nah, it's no platinum jubilee, is it? (laughs) I've spent the last 10 years of this podcast complaining about how old people are ruining everything. And then who comes along to ruin our anniversary? The oldest person in the world. Her Royal Highness, the Queen of England. This podcast anniversary would have been the biggest game in town. We would have sold out the concert hall or the SCG. But no, everyone's at home watching every minute of the Platinum Jubilee. (laughs) Did you say she's the Queen? Oh, including the Queen. We'll get there, sir. We'll get there. Don't get ahead of me. He had one punchline and you fucked it. That was, that was all, that was it. Oh, you, know, you know, anyone can start a comedy podcast. Uh, <laughs> fuck, that's a joke as well. Oh, oh, shut the fuck up. Everyone shut the fuck up. up. Everyone, all right. I'm on an edge. I've only got three jokes and two of them are gone. <laughs> if anyone says one more fucking thing, I will burn this place to the fucking ground. No. We <laughs> can't joke about that, not after the last podcast. <clears throat> I'd say the Queen would be raining our parade, but we didn't even get a parade. <laughs> the Queen's getting four, four parades. She didn't go to the first one. (laughs) Thanks a lot. The first parade was on Friday. She didn't even go. She wasn't feeling up to it, she said. And look, I get it. She's very old. But no one was asking her to do a fucking flip. You know what I mean? Stand and wave. Anyone can do it, right? Her second event was at the um, Buckingham Palace. Very nice for her, isn't it? She gets a palace, what do we get? A house. (laughs) (laughs) But can I just take a moment to say, the staff here uh, at the Sydney Opera House, they're incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you, yeah, no, that's true. I'd say hats off to them, but they don't get hats, no, do they? No, hats are only for the Queen staff. (laughs) Only the Queen's people get hats, big hats too. Hats as high as the eye can see. (laughs) <laughs> You've never... What? I have to what, put up a fucking picture of the hats they <laughs> I swear to fucking Christ, Opera House. I'm this fucking close. 
I'm like, I wore a suit and I know you don't know that's unusual, but it is. Dan, when you sack Lewis after this, uh, oh can I have his job? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can fucking have it. Good luck to you. They'll come for you. The fucking Michael go down. They'll come for your jokes. Unbelievable, you people. Fuck me. Thanks a lot. Anyway, we were on a hat spit before we got... And now my next bit's about hats, so we've got to go back to hats. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, thanks a lot, Australian media. Not one article all week about the hats of these good Australian podcasters. Mark, put on your hat. <laughs> put on your hat, Mark. Oh, great. Thank you. Oh, now everyone cares. <laughs> <laughs> Why do people get so excited when the Queen wears a hat? Do they know she owns a crown? That's the best kind of hat! Anytime she wears a regular hat, it should be a huge disappointment. <laughs> the hat is the understudy of the crown. A Queen in a hat <laughs> it's like Lewis Hamilton driving the Formula One in a Kia Sorento. It's not what I came to see. Put on the crown, you big Scrooge. <laughs> well, I'm going to fix this. Uh, and then I'm going to fucking fix you. <laughs> and, you have, and you have a radio show, is that right? <laughs> Constantly. Yeah, when the very, songs are on, it's very always. aggressive. <laughs> Come to the opera house that told my Pakistani parents. You're gonna find the comedy really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sammy Shah's like, T it's also my 10-year celebration. Come along, Mum and Dad. Fuck off! <laughs> this is my moment! <laughs> and none of you care! <laughs> now some of you might think that the Queen deserves a, bit, a bigger celebration than our podcast. You might think she's earned a little jubilee after 70 years on the throne. Well, you're wrong! <laughs> I think we've done a lot more than the Queen. Doing a mildly successful podcast for 10 years, on and off, is hard work. <laughs> Be a good one if you heard it. If starting a podcast was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. <laughs> all right, from now on, all, all right. fresh jokes. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this last joke. <laughs> the closest thing the Queen gets to doing a podcast is her royal Christmas message. And she does one of those per year. That's 70 episodes over 70 years. I mean, we've done over 100. We're crushing her. <laughs> the Queen can throw herself a party when she knows what it's like to beg Patreon subscribers for $1 a month. <laughs> I'll throw her a jubilee myself if she does a Christmas message brought to you by MailChimp. <laughs> <laughs> the Royal Family hasn't done one true crime podcast and they have done so many true crimes. <laughs> This is true, right? 18 months ago, Spotify gave Prince Harry and Meghan Markle $30 million to make a podcast. Did you know that? $30 million to make their new podcast. Do you know how many episodes they've made? This is true in the last 18 months since they got that $30 million. One. One episode of one podcast for $30 million. Lewis? And, yes. So while you're fact-checking, sorry to, to, to disrupt you, uh, the Queen did 69 uh, messages of nice. Christmas because she missed one year. In 1969, she missed it because she was sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great! <laughs> no, that's fine. That joke wasn't structural integrity for later. That won't ruin a callback in three minutes. Thanks a lot, Sammy! <laughs> no, good, go on, who else? <laughs> Fuck me! <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, no, good, great. You know, for me to make $30 million doing this podcast, based on how much money I'm getting paid tonight, I would have to do this podcast for over every week 
for over 2,000 years. That's true. That means I would be doing it from now to the very first Christmas when Jesus was born. <laughs> but no, no, give the fucking queen a parade. She's earned it. <laughs> Am I losing you? Yeah. I don't fucking care. Close the doors. <laughs> None of you will leave. This is going to be the fucking nutcracker. No intermission. This is going to be the longest performance in Opera House history. Mozart's fifth, sixth, seventh. Fuck it. Lewis is first. Had it up, see? With you and the Queen. No, look, I have some good news. I have some good news. Yes, thank you. Woo, indeed. If you're sick of being upstaged by the Queen like I am, the good news is she could die any second. No, that's not the good news. That's not the good news, I promise. She's, she might be pointless, but she is a person. I hope she lives a long and happy life surrounded by all her family, even the pedophiles. No, the good news this week is that um, you might have seen our new government announced that there is a new assistant minister for the Republic. Did you see this? New assistant minister for the Republic? No, I didn't know. No, I think that's exciting, but I don't want you to think I'm a big Republic guy, right? In my opinion, all monarchists and Republicans, they're all as boring as each other, right? They're all just big fucking weirdos. Yeah, big woo. I don't like, well, a couple of fucking Republicans or monarchists. Let's find out which. <clears throat> like, I imagine all monarchists sit in big brown leather chairs and are rude to waiters. But also, I think being a Republican in Australia, it's like demanding everyone get their appendix removed. Like, it's a lot of effort to get rid of something that's just sitting there. <laughs> like, who really cares if it's in or out? And that's me saying that after the last five minutes, right? That's me. <laughs> I don't even fucking care. You know, I don't need Australia to, to become a republic. I just need attention. <laughs> that's really what it boils down to. Right? But here's some more good news, right? Here's some more good news. If you promise to come back to our 20-year anniversary, there will be no Jubilee stealing our spotlight. That's in 10 years. Do you know why? No ruler has ever made it past the Platinum Jubilee. They literally haven't invented the next Jubilee. It's never been done. That means that the Queen has clocked monarchy. The next celebration that the monarchy has a word for is the centenary, and to make that, she'd need to live for another 30 odd years. And that seems pretty unlikely. The only person who looks like the Queen who might live for 30 more years is Keith Richards. <laughs> now, I don't want the Queen to die, I don't, but I will say this, when we come back to the Sydney Opera House in 2037 to celebrate our 25 year anniversary, there better be a fucking parade! <laughs> And here's to our 10 anniversary. Thank you so much for coming. So, oh my God, Lewis, I mean, how are you feeling after listening to you rant for, for 50 minutes? I feel calm, Dan. <laughs> I feel calm, I feel relaxed. Uh, I, really, I really got it out of my system. Uh, I think anyone listening to the smooth, calm, relaxed sounds of that 50 minutes, well, all, it's, it was basically a meditation tape. <laughs> That was my audition for Calm the App. Big thank you to our Patreon members and Road Mics for the road gear and also Jacob Round on the Teppanyaki timeline. And we'll see you next week. Um, um, I've never seen you like this. You're a changed man. I love hearing myself. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.